would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. If you are using the red Bibles and the chairs around you, you'll find it on page 775. We're going to be looking at just the first part of Jonah chapter 3 today, verses 1 through 5. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. As we finished last time, we saw that the Lord had provided the great fish to swallow Jonah. And while in that great fish, Jonah seems like he came to his senses a bit. And we have this wonderful prayer that's in chapter 2. And at the end of chapter 2, we're told that the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. And then we read these words at the beginning of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to this portion of your word today. And so we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into our midst in such a way that we would have eyes to see and hearts that are ready to believe and to change by the work of your spirit on us. Help us to see what we need to see and to learn what we need to learn and help us to see Jesus in this portion of your word. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, we're always thankful when we get a second chance. Uh, Perhaps you uh, can remember taking a test and uh, didn't do too well on that test, but your teacher, your professor gives you another Opportunity to take the test again so you can get a better grade. Or maybe you're taking a trip and going on an airplane and you're going through your uh, TSA checkpoint and you forgot that you left your keys in your pocket and so you set off the metal detector and everybody behind you has to wait. And they could pull you out of line, they could pat you down, they could put you in some room. But instead they ask you to take your keys out and give you a second chance to go through the metal detector. Or maybe you can remember sitting uh, at the uh, getting uh, taking your driver's license test, and you know it's one of those tests that you can only miss so many, and if you miss too many, the test is over and you have to wait. But they give you a second chance; you can come take it again on another day. Or maybe you say something that is hurtful or offensive to a friend, and rather than that friend writing you off and walking away. The friend gives you a second chance to try to engage in a better way. Or maybe you make a serious mistake at work, a a mistake that deserves to get fired. But your boss doesn't fire you. Instead gives you a second chance. It's good to get a second chance. And it was good for Jonah too. The Lord had called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and to proclaim the word of the Lord to the people in that city. And Jonah had no interest in doing that. 
He wanted nothing to do with bringing the word of God to the people of that city. He probably thought that they didn't deserve it. He probably thought, I don't want to bring God's word to those people because I don't want them to have the chance to believe in the one true God. And so Jonah fled in the opposite direction. He got in a boat and then he headed out to sea. But the Lord wasn't done with Jonah. So he hurled a storm onto the sea to prevent Jonah from being able to go anywhere. And then when the sailors of that ship threw Jonah into the sea, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow him up. And while he was in the belly of that fish, Jonah seems to have come to his senses. He recognized how dire his situation was. And the text tells us that he remembered the Lord. He recognized that salvation belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord who decides who gets salvation. And then the Lord had the fish vomit Jonah back up onto dry land. Now that could be the end of the story. God could have found some other way to accomplish his purposes in Nineveh. He could have sent Jonah to have a nice quiet existence somewhere. But instead... He provided Jonah with a second chance to obey, a second chance to go, a second chance to proclaim the word of God to the people of Nineveh, a second chance to be part of what God was going to do in that city. And by giving Jonah a second chance, the Lord was showering his grace and his mercy on Jonah. That's what I want us to look at today as we look at this part of the passage Let's look and see what Jonah's personal experience of God's grace was. Let's look and see how Jonah not only experienced the grace of God, but then became an example of the grace of God. And let's reflect on what a proper response is to the grace of God. So first of all, Jonah's personal experience of God's grace. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Really, we can think about uh, Jonah's experience of God's grace as we look back to chapter 2 in this wonderful prayer that Jonah offered while he was in the whale. The Lord had certainly heard Jonah's prayer from inside the, the belly of that fish. And although we saw last time that Jonah didn't specifically ask for the Lord to rescue him from his dire situation, that is exactly what the Lord did. Jonah had prayed that he would once again be able to see the Lord in his temple, that he would once again be able to sacrifice to the Lord his God. And the Lord answered that prayer with a resounding yes, even though Jonah didn't deserve it. Jonah experienced the Lord's grace to him. But he experienced the Lord's grace not only because the Lord did and would answer his prayer, but because the Lord restored Jonah's status. Again, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. The, the Lord not only rescued Jonah from the fish, and allowed Jonah to live, but he also restored Jonah's status as a prophet of the one true God. Jonah would once again function in the plan of God as one who would call out the word of the Lord 
He would be a proclaimer of the word of God. He would be able to function again as a prophet. And Jonah didn't deserve that. He deserved to be removed from that office, to to have that vocation taken away from him. But the Lord was gracious to him. The Lord was gracious to him, not only by answering his prayer and restoring his status, but even giving him the calling once again. Verse 2 again tells us, he tells him, you're going to Nineveh. The Lord once again called Jonah to go to Nineveh. It's almost identical words as the first call in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God knew that God was going to do an amazing work in that place. He knew how much of a blessing it would be for someone like Jonah to be able to experience what God was going to do there. He knew how encouraging it would be for Jonah to be used by the Lord in such a powerful way. And so he calls him once again to go. To go to that great city, Nineveh. Even though Jonah didn't deserve to go, he experienced the grace of God. And I would just ask you, have you experienced God's grace like Jonah did? Because if you have, do you appreciate how undeserving you are to have experienced that grace? We certainly could never deserve grace. We could never earn it. There's nothing that we can do to merit it. That's why it's called mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve to get. We deserve punishment for our sins. And God's mercy to us is we don't get that punishment for our sins. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. God's love and acceptance and forgiveness. He is both merciful to us. And gracious to us. And if you have experienced the Lord's mercy and grace in your life, then it should make you a person of humility. It should make you marvel that the Lord would be gracious to a sinner like me. It should make you realize I am no better than anybody else. There should be no place for arrogance or pride in someone who has experienced the grace of Of the Lord God Almighty. Now, Jonah not only personally experienced the grace of God, but as God does so often, he takes those who experience his grace and then he uses them as an example of his grace to others. Jonah received a second chance, a second calling to go to Nineveh. And this time he obeyed the Lord. We see that in verse verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Let me mention just a couple uh, context things here to help us to understand what's going on and what uh, what Jonah is is, uh, going to do. We're told that this was an exceedingly great city. Literally what that says is a city important to God. That probably means that because Nineveh was such a large city, it was filled with so many people, there were so many souls that were important to God. And it was a city that was three days journey in breadth. And what that probably means is that it's referencing an ancient custom of that day. Day one, you would enter into the city or town in which you were going. Day two, you would do your visiting or do your business in that town. And then day three, you would begin to depart. 
And notice what we read here in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He didn't waste any time. Right on the very first day, Jonah began to preach. And all we get is a very short summary of what the Lord had given Jonah to proclaim. Forty days, we read, forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now that doesn't sound like good news. It sounds a lot like the law. It doesn't sound a whole lot like the gospel. And it's especially true when we understand the word overthrown. In the Hebrew, that meant complete, utter destruction, annihilation. Jonah's message is summarized as you have 40 days and then Nineveh is going to be utterly and completely destroyed. So how do we get God's grace from that? Where do we see God's mercy in that? Well, we can see it in a couple different ways. First of all, it's in these words that Jonah proclaimed, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We've already said the word overthrown can mean complete destruction. But it also has a second meaning. It has another sense to the word in the Hebrew. It can mean completely or utterly destroyed, but it also can be used to describe something that has a change of heart. Something that reverses the direction that it's going. Something that turns around. Something that is transformed. Do you see how the Lord, by giving this word to Jonah to proclaim to these people, was giving Jonah both the bad news and the good news to the people of Nineveh? The city of Nineveh could either be utterly destroyed or transformed. It would depend on how they responded. Judgment could come and wipe out the city Or grace could be experienced and the city could be turned around and transformed. And God was giving the people the opportunity to repent and to believe in Him. And that is God's grace. We see an example of God's grace, not just in the message that Jonah was giving, but in Jonah himself. Jonah went to Nineveh as a living example of the grace of God. He was the very testimony of God's grace. Here he was, a prophet of the Lord who had disobeyed and rebelled against the Lord. He had loved his sin more than he loved the Lord. But he was shown grace and mercy rather than judgment and punishment that he so deserved. The Lord not only didn't bring final judgment on him, but restored him and then even decided to continue to use him in his plan for Nineveh. The Lord even used Jonah's disobedience as a way of preparing him to be an example of God's grace. And there he was, standing in the streets of Nineveh, himself experiencing, having experienced the grace of God, now an example to the Ninevites of how gracious and merciful and loving the one true God is. That's a reminder to us that the Lord shows and gives his grace to his people. And then often what he does is he uses the people that have experienced his his grace to be a picture of that grace for other people. 
The work of grace that the Lord has done in your life is now a living example of the grace that God wants to tell others about. It's the easiest way to to share the gospel, to share with somebody else what the Lord has done in your life, how he has opened your eyes to understand the good news of his grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I would just ask you to reflect, do you live your life day by day with that reality? That if you've experienced the grace of God, you are an example of that grace to others. Do you live with that reality as you interact with your neighbors? As you interact with your family members? As you interact with your peers? Those of you who have experienced the grace of God are the example, the living testimony of that grace to those that you are around. Do you live with that reality in your mind? Lastly, what's the proper response to God's grace? We can see it from Jonah and we can see it from the Ninevites. With Jonah, he had experienced God's grace himself and in response to that grace... He obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, if you know the the end of the story, if you know how Jonah ends, if you know what we're going to be uh, talking about when we get to chapter 4, then you can understand that Jonah probably still has doubts in his mind at this point. But he went. The Lord said, go to Nineveh. I'm giving you this second chance. I'm giving you this second calling. Go to Nineveh. And after he had experienced God's grace, he obeyed and he went. And, and reflect on that, that it, that would not have been an easy thing to do. Nineveh would not have been a good place for an Israelite to go. Assyria was the ruthless, brutal enemy of Israel. Just going to that city would have put Jonah's life in danger, let alone standing on the streets and proclaiming judgment from the one true God on their city. But he went, and without delay and without hesitating, he called out against the city, speaking the words that the Lord gave him to speak. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is what it looks like as a proper response to the grace of God, to respond with humble, loving obedience. Does that characterize your life? You who have experienced the grace of God. Is your life characterized by humble, loving obedience to the word of God? That's how we are to respond. We can also see how a right response to God's grace is by looking at how the Ninevites responded. We look at that in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them To the least of them. They heard what Jonah said. And they believed God. What we are seeing here is a picture of the power of the word of God. It was Jonah who spoke. But it was the word of God that brought change in Nineveh. O. Palmer Robertson in his commentary on this portion of God's word said. It was not the force of the argument presented by the prophet that moved the people. It was the power of God's truth that pierced to the heart. It is the word of God that was proclaimed to the people of Nineveh that caused them to respond. 
And how did they respond? They believed God, it says. But they went even further, as we see at the end of verse 5. They responded not just by believing God, but they responded to what Jonah said, but to the, to the word of God by putting on sackcloth and fasting. Those were customs of the day that indicated you were grieving, that you were mourning. And in the context here, this is a picture of these people grieving and mourning for their unrighteousness, for their sin against the one true God. It certainly seems that they not only believed God, but they had been convicted of their sin and they had been moved to repentance. And did you notice that it looks like it's citywide as well? From the greatest to the least, the entire city was impacted. Now, I'll I'll be honest with you, and maybe you feel like this with me. Um, It's a little hard to believe verse 5. If we're honest, it's a little bit hard to believe that an entire city was moved to faith and repentance because of this one guy that went and proclaimed the truth of God's word. It doesn't really seem like that would be possible. But on the other hand, we have to ask ourselves, why is that so hard to believe? This wasn't something that Jonah did. It was the work of the Lord God Almighty. The power to change the human heart wasn't from within Jonah. The power was in the word of God. And as we read in Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Or as Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Or as Jonah told us at the end of his prayer in chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord God Almighty who accomplishes His will and accomplishes His, uh, His salvation. He is the one who enables us to believe and to respond to his truth. And the Bible tells us nothing is impossible with God. If we find it hard to believe what it says in verse 5, that says something about what we believe in the Lord, about the Lord. He is certainly able to bring faith and repentance to people in a place like Nineveh. After all, he's changed our hearts. It's no more difficult for him to change the hearts of an entire city called Nineveh. And that brings us to our final point of how we are to respond. Not just looking at how Jonah responded or the Ninevites responded, but how are, how are we to respond to the grace of God? I think there's a message here from Jonah's words for those who are not believers, those who are not Christians, that have not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are not in Christ You must know that there is a day of reckoning that is coming. And it may not be in 40 days. It may be today. Or maybe tomorrow. But a day is coming when we will either die or King Jesus will return. And at that moment we will stand before our Creator, the Lord God Almighty, and we will have to give an account for our lives. Saying that I've tried to be a good person or or I've tried to do more good in my life than bad That won't be enough. 
God has told us in his word the standard that he is going to use to judge us. And that is whether we have kept his law perfectly or not. He says that we are to be perfect as he is perfect. That's the standard by which he will judge us. And there's not one of us, there's not one of us who can meet that standard. We break God's law every day. So the only other solution that we have is for someone else to keep the law perfectly for us. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He lived a life of perfect love and obedience to his father. And then he gave up that life willingly as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of his people and to credit them with his righteousness. The good news of the gospel is that all who believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ are accepted by God as if they had kept the law perfectly their entire life. So if you've not yet believed in God, if you have not yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then let today be that day. Rather than being overthrown and completely destroyed, be transformed, be changed by the Word of God, by the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How should those of us who have experienced God's grace, who, who believe in the grace of the Lord, how should we respond to that grace? Well, let me finish by giving you three ways that I think are appropriate for how we ought to respond to the grace of God given to us. The first is this. That we are to live lives of repentance. And it is ironic that in the passage that we have for us today, it is the pagan Ninevites who are actually a better model for us of what repentance looks like than the, the Israelite prophet. The people of Nineveh seem to show what genuine sorrow for sin looks like, what genuine repentance looks like. And that is what we are to be doing all the time. Repentance is not something that we do once. Repentance is something that we do all of our life as the Lord brings to our attention our sin. As He shows us the way that we are falling short of His standard. Then we turn away from our sin and we turn back to the Lord. Leaning against it and fighting against our sin. Asking Him to forgive us. When we fail and we fall short of the standard, we are to be quick to repent and to ask for the Lord's mercy once again. Our entire lives are to be lives of repentance. Secondly, a response to the experience of God's grace in our lives is to be living a life of loving and joyful obedience to the Word of God. It is to do what the Lord tells us to do, and it is to not do what the Lord tells us not to do. And to not do that grudgingly. The, the, word, or the, the Lord tells us in His Word that His law, His commandments are good. They are good for us. Does our life actually reflect that? Does our life reflect the fact that God has given us the way that we are to live in a way that is pleasing to Him and that is good for us? Do we really believe that the law is good? Because if we did, our lives would be characterized by a loving and joyful obedience to the law. Thirdly and lastly, 
Experiencing God's grace in our lives means that we must live expectantly, looking for opportunities that we might be the instrument of God showing His grace to other people. That we ought to look for the opportunities that He puts into our lives where He uses those who have experienced God's grace to be the example, to be the living testimony of God's grace to others. Let me, let me uh, give you the full quote that I only read part of from O. Palmer Robertson earlier. He said, It was not the force of the argument presented by the prophet that moved the people. It was the power of God's truth that pierced to the heart. Never rely on your own persuasive powers as the way to save sinners. Never wait until you have confidence in yourself to speak up for Christ. It is God and His truth that people believe. We remain only the instruments. That frees us up as God's people to be eagerly expectant for ways that He might use us to be the example of God's grace to others. We don't have to wait until we're confident that we will be able to do it with some kind of measure of success. That is the work of God. It is His work to do that how He wants to. Our job is simply to be faithful and ready to be the example of God's grace to others. Eager for the Lord to use us as an instrument of others coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray that if there are any people here that are in this room or online who have not yet put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are not resting in the the good news of the gospel, who are not united by faith to Jesus, that you would send your spirit upon their hearts, that you would open their eyes to see the truth, that you would bring them into the kingdom of God. That you would give them an experience of your grace through the gospel. And I pray, Father, for those who are in Christ. Those of us who have experienced your grace and know what it's like to to have your mercy and grace showered upon us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see our sin all the more clearly. Bring it to our eyes. Bring it to our attention. And give us hearts that are eager to repent and to turn away from it and to turn to you once again. And as we repent of our sin and turn to you once again, Father, we pray you would fill us in our hearts and our minds with a loving and joyful obedience to your word that is good for us. And I pray, Father, that you would make us eager and that you would make us ready And that you would make us expectant. That as you provide opportunities, we might be the beacons of your light and truth for others. That they might see how you have given us your grace. The chiefest of sinners. And how that grace is available to them as well. Our Father, we pray that you would build your church and your kingdom. And we would be so bold as to ask you to do that by even using people like us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.